We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Happy New Year, folks. What's going on? Show 145. But before we even get into uh, any of the particulars about this show, real quick, we're going to shout out the homie in the middle right here on my screen. Uh, happy uh, 21st birthday, bro. Uh, <laughs> man, so tell the folks, man, how you celebrated your birthday and how you, how you brought it in the new year? Uh, horizontal. Like, <laughs> I don't do anything exciting. Uh, that's the thing about aging <laughs> is that you don't. So, uh, yeah, man, I had a good New Year's. I had a, a great birthday. Just resting. That's it. Yeah. Resting, relaxing. And at my at my age and stage, that's that in itself is a blessing. That's what's up. Uh, big homie, I, uh, you're, you're, uh, I'm sorry, little big homie, because you're the youngest and we got to haze you. But sir, you, uh, you had an exciting uh, stay in Kentucky and it left you revived. And man, you was, yeah, man, tell us about that trip, man. You muted. I got it. I said I got a lot of homes, uh, three that I really claim, but, uh, you know, Paducah's where my mom, you know, where my mom's buried and where my grandmama, I call her mom. And, uh, you know, when I started Energy Converters, I always just had this goal, this dream to be in all the places that I grew up. And so just going back there and seeing stuff that I ain't seen in a while and just like that adjunct, that, that, that type of poverty is just different. And just being back in that space, it just had a whole bunch of different feelings come up, man. But it was good to see people. I got to see a lot of my family. A lot of folks that we do this work for, I mean, it's a whole different mindset there, you know, especially as we talk about schools and who wants to go and who wants remote, who want to be in person. And, you know, so it was good, man. It was good. And, and, and you know, a lot a lot of change is coming from it. So I'm excited about it. Thanks for That's asking. Yo, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, man, I've been having a lot of folks in my inbox uh, asking when the hands coming back, when the hands coming back. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I it, but this this break was amazing <laughs> not being able to like log in i have to log in on this on the sunday or whatever that weekend being like free and clear it was an amazing feeling but yes we are uh glad to be back uh in uh, amongst the living in terms of engaging and interacting with you guys so uh looking forward to the show and so fellas before we jump into the show because i i i know um we got a person that's trying to log in um What's keeping you up late at night? Because there's a whole we had a whole nother show planned, but now we uh we, we you know we, we were able to get in contact with the dads on duty in order to celebrate them. But uh before we get into that into those particulars, like what's keeping you up late at night? Uh uh Cole, we'll start with you. I don't know what's keeping me up late. I think um I don't know, man. That's a y'all can tell this was not a question that was in the rundown. So I gotta really think about it. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I'm somebody who likes to do a lot of things and, and likes having, and, and there's just a bunch of things that I want to do, but just last year, it just started to take a toll. So I'm leaving a lot of stuff that I really care about. And I think uh, just thinking about that and what that's going to mean and what that's going to look like, whether it's organizations or people or whatever the case is. So I'm happy about it. It needs to happen, 
But, you know, I don't know if it's keeping me up at night, but it definitely is causing a lot of deep thought and reflection on, on where I want my energy and time to go this year. That's what's up, man. Definitely uh, wishing you well in terms of protecting your time and protecting your space. Uh, Breezy, sir, what's keeping you up late at night? I think it's similar to the same thing. It's too many things piling up at the same time that are complex problems. So, you know, in good times, we had enough that we were working on, you know, like uh, uh, trying to fight to make sure that kids get a great education and fight school systems to make changes that we knew that they could make um, to improve teaching and learning and uh, uh, choice and opportunities, whatever in schools, the way that kids are assigned to schools, all that stuff was enough by itself. And then we went into COVID and uh, it was, you know, kind of like nobody gave us a timeline. Nobody said, okay, this is going to be something you're going to have to face for a year, 18 months, 36 months, whatever. And, you know, uh, there was this, I think, sense of we will at some point have a, have an answer like a vaccine. Vaccine comes and then, you know, we get waves of new variants, right? Like, (laughs) like people putting out new COVID strains like mixtapes, right? Like every third week. And, you know, the the schools are like opening and closing and people are fighting. And the thing that's really, really keeping me up at night more than anything else is I have a a sneaky suspicion that there is an invisible hand that is aggravating the public to not look for solutions, but to constantly be at each other's throat. Like if you wanted to take down the United States, and you couldn't take us down any other way. And I said this last year and the year before. The best way to do it would be to make sure that you have all of our morons being the ones that are heard the most, the loudest talkings, the one with no solutions, no answers, no possibilities, no hope, no nothing, but just the ones who have a lot to, let's fight about everything. That's keeping me up at night, that we can't get our smartest people, our best leaders, and and the people we usually count on and rely on to lead us through tough times to actually smarten up and stop fighting about everything. Yeah. Hey, shout out to the grandma police in the building. I think so. I think I may have put New Year's and I spelled it uh, incorrectly or whatever. But um, this year is a year of grace. And so uh, maybe you guys need to uh, try to give that at some point or another, right? Like grace, right? Uh, yeah. And so, but, but beyond that, what's keeping me up late at night is, uh, and Chris, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that, you know, we got some armchair quarterbacks that have never run schools, that have never been adjacent to running schools, that are now uh, making these, uh, these statements uh, with regards to uh, how schools should be run. Right. And so uh, being in the battlegrounds of uh, an area that is uh, uh, extremely COVID positive, uh, my goal is to keep our kids in school because I know how meaningful that is. But at any given point, I will pull the plug in order to keep staff members safe and in order to keep students safe. Right. And so let's give school leaders and school systems the grace in order to be able to keep their students safe. Uh, we got a lot of people that are like, you know, hell bent on kids being in school, but not thinking about the eight hundred and thirty five thousand plus lives that have been lost due to uh, COVID-19. So if we're going to be able to keep kids in school, let's do it safely. Uh, let's be responsible with regards to how we approach the work and let's support those people that are doing the work uh, without casting uh, our criticism on it. And then plus, there's one more thing that I want to add. 
teachers don't make the choice to want to teach virtually. Anybody that knows anything about virtual uh, instruction knows that it's double the work to be an effective uh, virtual uh, teacher than it is to be an in-person teacher. There's so much that has to go into um, the the thoughts and the thinking and, and all of these other things. Um, and so let's give grace to these teachers. They've earned it. Um, after uh, two years of, of dealing with uh, COVID-19. And I guess the last, last thing that I want to say, because I'm pumped about this, is that, you know, we got folks that are like, oh, well, we didn't learn anything from previous, previous from previous. This is new. <laughs> uh, COVID-19, the Omicron variant is new. Like, how the hell could you learn anything about the, the Omicron variant if it's just come, right? And so, like, all of us that are posturing and making these statements, talking about, oh, we haven't learned anything from previous or whatever. Like, how can you learn anything from something that never happened? Let's be smart <laughs> about this, folks. Come on. All right, so... Well, can, I, can I ask you a question, though? What about, yeah, yeah. What about the people, because I've been having a lot of parents that I've been talking to, and it's just been... And, and the frustration was, we got caught off guard the last time that are like, yeah. yo, is there, like... Not that you should have all the answers right now, but just like, can there be some kind of plan in place with all the money that was given out all that time? And I'm just speaking as somebody who's in Chicago and I got people yeah. in Oakland where Oakland did a sick out where teachers yeah. decided and didn't really tell parents. Some parents knew, but a lot didn't. That, and they just decided not to show up and 12 schools had to close down because they didn't have enough people. And then Chicago, where those teachers actually staged uh, a sick out like on a, on a big scale. So I, I agree with what you're saying, like around like giving people grace and like this is new and this is hard. But I think that there is some collective frustration around, okay, that first year, got it, right? But now like a snow day, what's the plan when things got to shut down with all that money and infrastructure? That that So I'm not, I, I, know, I know who you talking about, some disrespectful folks that have some crazy stuff to say. I'm talking about parents. Like I was talking to some people back in Kentucky earlier this week that was like if school shut down I can't not go to work like I work at like a place I gotta go to and I don't have a yeah. plan so that's, yeah. that's that's what I was hearing so yeah so I mean but it, it's good that you are hearing that right and for those parents I, I would definitely say that um, you're, you're right in, in your thinking right I feel like with all the money that was given out uh, it, definitely, it, it definitely gave us the opportunity to invest in our infrastructures there definitely should have been schools that were investing in uh, in computers in order for students to take home uh, just in case this this event happened again right and so you know, we definitely should have been planned up in order to do that so any school that any school or any school system that's like Hey, you know we're we're not playing for this in terms of the infrastructure component. Right. Then yeah, you got every right to be upset with them. But in terms of uh, a manpower issue, man, you got folks that are just out, and like some people are able to function in in, in ways that allow them to be asymptomatic and function. But then other people are just out based off of whatever reason why they're out, and it just makes it tough on a school. When we, when, you know, when we're talking writ large about schools that are are not being able to find staffing and do all these other things, it's tough. It's tough out here. You know, <laughs> let me just add one thing to this, though. Um, I think the way that the public should have conversations like this through crisis is with factual data 
and evidence and information. There was a lot of money that came down to the schools. What happened to it? That's a very good question. That's a question that we should all collectively be joining at a table and answering. I tweeted out something this week. A report came out that said what the money was spent on. There was a test. There was a study to see what districts were spending their money on. And after I looked at the list of what they were spending the money on, I had a different opinion than I I would have had going in before I saw what they were reporting that they were spending the money on. Right. So like like and, and Charles, you you from some of the places where you have lived, how people handle like a crisis, a bad situation, like something's going down, something bad just happened. You got to jump into action. You got to do something, whatnot. The dude in the corner who's just screaming, I can't believe we got to, you know, run or just, oh, we got shot. We got shot or whatever. That's not the dude you want to turn to in the time of crisis. The the person who's going to help you restate how bad it actually is and it all is and whatever. Yes, we're caught off guard. Yes, this is not what we prepared for. Yes, this is going to be tough and frustrating. Yes, uh, um, if you were a principal, you would see it differently than if you were a superintendent, than if you were a politician, than if you were a parent, than if you're rich, than if you are poor. But we are all going through a thing right now. And it always just makes me wonder as I'm watching our behavior during this time. Wonder about what if Americans would have behaved this way during the Great Depression or dur- during two of the world wars, right? Like when you had to like give, give up all your aluminum and give up all your stuff and put your green stamps in a book and do all this kind of. Cointel Pro. Our grandparents went, went through some things. Would you say? Uh, Cointel, you froze. Cointel Pro. Oh, froze. It was you. Yeah, you froze for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Cointelpro was hitting me. Um, <laughs> you know, so so that that's all I'm going to say is like right now, I don't think it's it's not grace that I'm looking for. It's just like smart under fire. Like when you are in the middle of a crisis, the people who have nothing for you except to tell you how bad it is or to complain and bitch and moan are not the people you want to be hanging out with because that's not going to solve anything. Schools have to close and they have to reopen. If half of your teachers are out in a building and your kids come to school and you have to put them all into a cafeteria because half the teachers then caught something that half America don't believe you can catch, but now they're out. So you're sitting them in there with a custodian and a gym and a, a coach in the gym with the kids and they're not learning nothing all day long, oh, but, but they in school. Meanwhile, you got some cat who's like tweeting about that principal making that decision as if half those teachers aren't out of that school. It's stupid. It's not, it's not what you want in, in, in a time of crisis. You want cool headed people who can tell you like adults, this ain't going to be easy. Facts. 100 percent. And so, guys, uh, we we have uh, dads on duty. And so uh, real quick uh, to to explain to folks what dads on duty are, if you guys didn't catch it. Um, these uh, these band of, of, of fellas. And I think we may only have like one or two tonight, but that's cool because we can pick his brain and, and pick their brains uh, in order to kind of understand uh, the concepts and where they're trying to push forward. But dads on duty uh, started out at a, uh, a, a high school in Louisiana. And uh, there were some issues in terms of uh, student behavior. Uh, I think that there were about eight uh, to 10 fights and they can clarify uh, how many fights there were but uh, these fights were captured put on the news and uh, it was just total chaos uh, in this school in Louisiana and uh, these dads were like hey you know what we're going to step in and we're going to do what we got to do in order to clean this up 
and, and make sure that our kids are learning and doing what they got to do in terms of that. And so these dads uh, came in and they were uh, dads to everybody in the school. I saw media with, with white kids that were uh, exclaiming and, 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 uh, and giving them high praise in terms of uh, keeping the school safe. Right. So it wasn't just black kids. wasn't just it was all kids. Right. And so uh, without further ado, let's bring up uh, Mr. Craig Lee, who is a dad on duty so that we can chop it up. Oh, man. Clap it up for this guy. Let's go. So, sir, talk to Brady. us, man. Like, what, 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 what happened? Like, and then, like, like, how did it manifest? Okay, so uh, first off, thank you guys for uh, having me on platform. Um, got one or two more trying to get in. They're having some technical difficulty. Um, but on September the sixth, um, I was contacted. Um, by one of my schoolmates, Daphne Malone Lott. She is an administrative assistant at Southwood High School uh, here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And she's the administrative assistant to Dr. Kim Pendleton, who is the principal at the school. And she just sent me a short message uh, messenger on Facebook that said, you know, Lee, uh, we need your help gang violence, uh, the culture needs to change. And at that moment, since I was working in concert with our NAACP president, uh, Michael Lafitte, and Michael had has a daughter at the school, I turned the uh, situation over to Mike. I'm pretty much the Marcus Garvey or Malcolm X of Shreveport. So that's why she had reached out to myself. But I wanted Mike since he is a father at the school uh, of a child at the school to take the lead on this, especially since he's the president of the NAACP. He didn't immediately jump on it. Um, so fast forward to September the 17th when the gang fights happened and they went viral and there were, you know, approximately 20 some odd arrests um, on that Friday. Mike, told me he wanted to call a meeting with some additional parents. And on that Sunday, the meeting was called and that's where dad's on duty was born. Um, our board member, Zach Johnson, um, made the recommendation that he would come up to the school along with our vice chairman, Mike Morgan, who was already a band booster president. And they just basically said, we'll come up and start to patrol um, the hallways. And that's how dad's on duty uh, was born. Mm. Ray, you, you muted, you, brother. Muted, bro. Sorry. I th thanks for sharing that with us. And man, I, you know, I'm going to fanboy tonight. <laughs> and Chris, I, I know you are, are you're super into this because we've been talking about a dad movement for forever uh, with regards to just uh, putting putting a, a, a platform in order for dads to come in and speak. And then, you know, our platform is sort of that way as well as we are four black men that come and cape. For uh for 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 justice for uh the eight million black black uh children nationwide, and so sir, uh Chris, what's your question for uh for, for Mr. Lee, and then we got I think we got another uh dad on duty uh, hopping in. Well, you know, first of all, uh, you know, thank you, brothers, uh, for joining us tonight. Thank you for uh, making a national example of something that is inspiring for all of us. I saw this pop up in the news at the exact same moment that I was writing about and thinking about. Man, I'm so sick of people acting like black fathers are invisible. Uh, 
like we don't exist. And I was on yeah. a, uh, I was, I was on a holy terror that week of like, uh, you know, the national narrative around black fathers renders us either uh, uh, into stereotypes or death, one or the other. But we're invisible. Like the good black father wakes up every day working a job he doesn't want to work to pay for things that he doesn't want to pay for, to do things that he doesn't want to do necessarily, but does it out of love and duty and respect. And, you know, it's just what he is. That father's invisible. And y'all popped up right at the time that I was uh, uh, making that observation. Uh, I noticed that you all are getting national recognition and other people, this is like, people are hungry for this and thirsty for this. I thought I saw something about the Little Rock School District uh, reaching yes. out to you and other school districts reaching out to you. I just want to know what has that been like? Do you feel a movement forming? Do you feel like connections across state lines starting to form? Uh, that's a great question. And, and the answer to that is yes. Uh, we've already signed a memorandum of understanding uh, with the fifth largest school district in the country, which is Clark County Public Schools, uh, Las Vegas, Henderson. Uh, I don't know, we took a trip out there yeah. in November. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, we have a nonprofit um, partner out there, 10,000 um, Kids Partnership, Inc., uh, Pastor Troy Martinez. And so I went out as my cousin, uh, Aaron Ford, Attorney Aaron Ford, as the Attorney General for the state of Nevada. So myself and Zach Johnson, we went out um, ahead of the principal and our other board former board member, um, Mike Lafitte, we went out to handle the business to lock them down. And the school was like, yo, we like the program. And it was so interesting. We're just in phase one of the program, which is the public safety, public school safety uh, phase. We haven't even gotten into the actual programs and projects mm. that we will be launching that will look to transform the minds and the spirits of the young people where we basically eradicate uh, youth violence, uh, not only in schools, but in the neighborhoods. So we have some innovative things that we're going to be doing. And so North Little Rock became the second uh, school district to um, sign a formal partnership um, um, letter and whatnot with them. And so I got about 20 more to call uh, this week. And you're absolutely correct. There is a movement afoot because the narrative has been that the majority of African-American uh, males, men, fathers, uncles, they're less about their children. That's been the narrative. And so you have a lot of positive individuals who are in the mix. And right now we have David Telsey, who is one of our other board members and uh, co-founders of Dads on Duty. And he can kind of share with you his experience because he was already an involved parent before we actually mobilized and organized together. Mm -hmm. Jump on here, Daddy. Let's go. Uh, uh. <laughs> How y'all doing today, man? Doing well, blessed and highly favored. That's right. Good, uh, Welcome. Yeah, like Craig was saying, man, I, uh, myself as a black father, I've been through child support, uh, uh, having to go to courts to get visitation of my son, uh, all kinds of different things. So just so happened in 2021, uh, my ex was having issues with my son. And so, Spelling grades and all like that out in, uh, out in Arlington. 
And so I told her, I said, well, let me get my son so I can get him back on track. So she did. I got him back on track, uh, A's and B's, um, back on the football team, you know, doing well. Uh, I ended up getting custody of him. Uh, during the during the time of going to court, all the fights and stuff broke broke out in uh, in the schools, and so it kind of had me worried that you know I, I just got custody of my child, and if anything happens to my child at that school, what am I going to do? And so when they called me that Sunday about this meeting, about the meeting meeting together and getting it started, I was on board one hundred percent, and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. Man, we just—I just want to—I just want to I, I wanna lift you because we so appreciate you, so appreciate the work that you're doing in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, you know, what you're doing for for other kids, not just your kid. Uh, Cole, jump in here, man. What, what's your question for the folks? Well, one, uh, just thank you. First off, I mean, I know we all done said it, and we're gonna keep saying it uh, that y'all matter, and to the other fathers and that's listening, like, and if you're not a father, like, there's something you can do, and you matter, man. So just thank you a lot. Um, it's just something different when it's a, a man that ain't like the teacher or the principal, because in the back of your mind as a kid, you know that that's staff and they can't really, it's certain things they can't do. And we're not talking about that one cool <laughs> teacher. It's different when it's the cat from the neighborhood yeah. that talks to you like they from the neighborhood. And just growing up in Oakland, we had the Muslims, the Bay family, when we had a whole bunch of fights and stuff. When them bay, when them brothers told you with the bow ties, like, hey, keep keep it moving, move along. And they stopped the drug dealers from being there and girls weren't getting harassed. It just matters, man. So just thank you, brothers, a lot. My question for both of you, man, is just what would you say? Um, just what 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 surprised you the most as y'all as y'all have been doing this work? Like what what's kind of caught you off guard to where you like, man, I didn't really expect that to happen, or I didn't expect that reaction. Um, either one of y'all could start. The publicity, the the notoriety, the the being known nationwide. It was just gonna be a small thing for our school and it blew up to be something bigger than we ever thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that was crazy. We became we became like instant rock stars overnight, man. We went to New York. We were getting off the plane at the airport in Atlanta. And people seeing our shirts and they were starting to come up to us wanting to take pictures and stuff like we were superstars, you know. It was crazy. And that was that, that was like that in every airport we we uh laid over in and every time we uh every time we were we walking down the streets in New York and people stopping us on the streets, man, it was crazy. It was crazy to be known nationwide like that, coming from a little small town like Shreveport, man. It was it was amazing. It really well is. deserved, man. It's well deserved. I just yeah, got we chills definitely when he said that. I got chills. Well, cause, cause I didn't really like, get chills. I, I, <laughs> I, I, like, I didn't get chills. I didn't get chills. The reason why I didn't get chills is because, hey, that's how we get treated, too. I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) At least one of us does. Um, You know, anyways, uh, the idea that uh, that people were so hungry for positive uh, outlook on black fathers and, and they were treating you like rock stars and waiting to see you or whatnot just tells me that there's something there. We need to keep tapping that whatever well that is. We need to keep tapping that well because uh, th- there's there's a, there's millions of fathers that are waiting around to be treated like that. Right. And, and I get that treatment. I, I do want to follow up on Charles's question, though, just a little bit. Once you got into the school, what did you what was your analysis of what the problem was? Why were why were young people so frustrated? Why were young people on edge? 
Why, why were there? What, what was your analysis? What did you come in and say, OK, this is my light bulb going on. This is what I think is pro- the problem here. You muted, brother. Oh, wait, is he? No. OK. I think he just froze. I think he just froze. Yeah, he froze. Cointel Pro don't want it. See, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. David, why don't you start? Why, why don't you start while David uh gets his his um his connection back? Craig. Uh when I when I walked into the school after after everything had started, you know, I'm you know I'm a working father, so I only go I only get a chance to go up on my days off. So my days off are Fridays. I'm off on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. So every Friday I'm at the school. And it's like it's like when they see you at, at, for a while, it was like it was like nobody really knew you. But after we got to doing the camaraderie with the kids and stuff, now it's like the kids see us and it's like, hey, how you doing, Mr. Chelsea or Mr. Lee or, you know, uh, they call us by name, you know, and they come around and they talk to us, you know, and it's, 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 it's man, it's, it's, it was a change. It's a change. It's a real big change. You can see the change in the kids. Um, uh, my son plays football, so I know the whole entire football team. Before Dad's on duty started, I was at every practice. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know the whole football team. I know the whole powerlifting team. Uh, I'm starting to learn the basketball players. You know, it's it's and all the it's, it's it's kids that comes up to you that you never you never met. The schools big. You know, it's kids that come to you, you never met. You know, and they'll speak in the morning. Some some of them speak, and some of them won't. Though you know, it's it's just kids. You know, but we uh. It's real. It's a real. It's a real change at the school, and you can see it. You can tell it. Uh, we've given uh, we've given some stuff out, like we've given a prep rally for the kids uh, the last day of school before uh, they went out for the winter break. Mm-hmm. Uh, dads don't do it through a prep rally. We had a DJ, and uh, kids really enjoyed it, man. We gave out um, gave out like four hundred dollars worth of Starbucks gift cards. Uh, you know, we're doing stuff and giving back to the school at the same time. Something, that, something that. Something that's positive for the kids, you know. We're getting ready to do a, another giveaway later on this year, you know. And for you know, it's just something positive. Keep the kids, keep the kids' minds going, you know. And we haven't, you know, and the issues, the issues have been slight to none, mm. you know. Hmm. And they had no real well, issues. You, you got you got our contact info and anything that you guys need that we can help contribute, uh, bring the spotlight uh, down the street for you. Let us know uh, when you guys reach out to uh, your other cities and stuff. If we could uh, help you guys uh, uh, share the spotlight on that as well, please let us know. Uh, but the question that I have for you guys uh, is. What advice do you have for other fathers, right, that may not be at the stage of being in a district that's ready to make this move? Like, what advice do you have to other fathers that want to be involved, right? Like, where should they start? What should they do? Like, what's your advice for them? So, so can you all hear me now? We can hear you. Can you all hear me now? Yeah. So, let I'm, I'm going to answer that, but let me go back and uh, also reiterate, uh, uh, hit on something that um, David was talking about in terms of what we've seen um, the school system. I've been doing grassroots advocacy now for 26 years here in the city of Shreveport. So I've been advocating for uh, young people and doing different mentorship. So, but being directly in the school, what you can clearly see are the toxic influences of the um, negative hip-hop 
uh, music, uh, the negative video games. You can see all of it every day in terms of their fashion, in terms of the uh, unwillingness to speak. Um, I, I would say when we first um, got into the school, probably about 5% of the children would greet when we greet them. Now we're probably up to about 30 to 40%. Um, so we're slowly uh, making an inroad. Um, so so that's the, the biggest thing that I saw, direct impact of how these negative hip-hop artists the video games, how all of that is directly influencing the youth. All right. Now, as it relates to your 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 last question, the thing that I would recommend for uh, any group of guys who are concerned, get you a couple of brothers. It, it only takes a few. It's not like it's it's a whole bunch of us, right? You you only need a few to make it happen, but you got to start to get involved with the principal, um, with the administration. Make yourself known there because that's how we were able to get in. Um, Dr. Kim Pendleton has a two decades plus relationship with myself. Um, Mike Lafitte was already involved. David Telsey was already involved. Mike Morgan, Zach Johnson. Um, um, our parliamentarian, was, um, Ken Henry, was already involved. So these guys were all involved. I'm the only one who doesn't have a child at the school because I do the advocacy for the entire uh, black population here in Shreveport. So I was working with them, but because they were already involved and engaged with the principal and the school activities, that gave them an inroad. So once the, the high-level negative situation happened, then it was easy for us to get engaged. And that's the question that I'm hearing more than anything. How do you get involved? And it's amazing that these schools are almost created as no-fly zones for parents and other uh, community stakeholders. So I would suggest um, disrupt the uh, um, business that's going on as usual and now get involved and engaged so now you get three or four of you and now start to become consistent and now we'll show you once you connect with us phase one and what we're about to start doing in phase two with um etiquette training conflict resolution um training uh or de-escalation training entrepreneurial development training. So we're about to bring in a host of individuals to create an alternative career in what we're calling the Ujima Empowerment Village, hmm. because we're now going to resurrect the African proverb. Instead of saying it takes a village to raise a child, we're saying it takes an empowered village to power our children. So we're bringing the village concept to now disrupt the negative influences that impact the children at their homes, in their neighborhoods, as they now bring that to the school, we're going to disrupt that, not only at high school, but in what we're calling our supply chain um, logistics from elementary to junior high to high school, so we mitigate and eradicate the issue of youth violence. 
Well, we appreciate that, and we appreciate you sharing that. Um, I want to, uh, so I want to make a real quick uh, stand uh, in terms of uh, not 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 uh, being adversarial or anything like that, but uh, you know, I, I don't think hip hop is the problem. I want to put that out there. Uh, I think that it's a lack of mentorship. I think that you know, for those folks that uh, get heavy into hip hop and, and and try to live those lives or whatever, I think that we need to uh, we we need to keep in mind that um, you know we need to empower their parents in order to make sure that we're teaching them best practices in terms of how to approach work as an adult. Uh, but uh, I, I got this new. And that's and that's fine, but I got this new Gunner CD and I love it. It's a classic. I just want to put that out there. I, I want to. I want to hear more what this brother has to say because I think I think Craig Lee is on to something here. I want to hear him. Let me break. Let me break this down for you. I'm a former percussionist, and we can play this game all we want to. Ninety to ninety-five percent of hip hop music, and it's hard for me to even call it music, hip hop. Um, instrumental trash. It's trash. You, you have your you have your entities like Toby and Wickwe. You have some other positive cats that are out there. But what I'm telling you, from being at ground zero, and David can echo this sentiment. These children have been lured in the way of a subcultural construct and with hip-hop this is purposely done and with the video games with the um, drug inducement, with all of these negative things, none of these, I didn't say these were problems, these are just issues, we only have two problems in the African American community in the United States the problem we can't do anything directly about, and that is the philosophy system and game of capitalistic white supremacy. The other problem we can directly impact, which is the problem of no empowerment. I define empowerment as the ability to control your destiny. And you do that six ways, spiritually, culturally, educationally, economically, and politically. And what I'm telling you unequivocally, hip hop music is the portal that is now engaging these young folks into the destructive behavior that they are in. That's just a fact. We can try to play this game all we want to, but because if we don't now accept reality of what is in the majority, not all, but in the majority of hip hop music, it is the cultivation of this that is now fueling what I call the womb, not the school to prison pipe, Line, not the credit to prison, but the womb to prison pipeline. And if we keep on denying this reality and not put these individuals in check, we're going to become complicit in the um, evolution of the toxicity that's killing our children. That's just a fact. I, well, I mean, I, I, I definitely want to jump in too. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I listen, man, because I, I mean, I'm from I'm from a generation, and and I mean, here's the thing, and that, and I I'm gonna be really honest too. I think the lack of us, I think what y'all are doing is actually fixing a large part of the problem. I think that hip hop has filled a chasm of certain things missing. Hip hop gave me a place to belong when I didn't have dads on duty or other people speaking that life and that hope into me. And I see a lot of white kids that listen to death metal. I listen, I, I, you know, I, I see a bunch of country music that been killing and shooting people a long time or whatever. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I think that there are just some other things that happen and 
By the way, Nas's album is a classic too. But the point that I'm making is I won't push on what you're saying, but hip hop, the blight ain't here because of hip hop. Hip hop is here because of the blight. And if and, and I think what you all are doing is setting an example of we're gonna take our community back. We need to take it back. And I think the lesson that I'm taking from listening to you all, because I won't I won't let you just be like it's trash, because that thing was there for me when when other cats wasn't there for me. That thing was there for me when it wasn't positivity around me or whatnot. When I saw my dad and my mom hitting that pipe and going back and forth to jail, it was a song that I could put in to my headphones and I felt heard and I felt seen. But if I had dad's own duty to grab me and be like, young man. I got you. Somebody got you. We're going to hold you down. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. So the lesson that I'm taking from you, Craig and Mr. David, is that black men, you don't need permission. You don't need somebody to push a button for you to take your community back. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you're calling out all the black folks and black men in places that don't have a dad's on duty, that don't have them Muslim brothers, that don't have that thing that happened in Chicago where it was like the death traps and then the men and them women came out and made sure those babies had safe passes to school. So I appreciate y'all and I thank y'all for that. But maybe we have to look at our society and cultural and we can add some white supremacy into that because there's a lot of dads that was locked up and in jail and gone. You know what I'm saying? But I think that there was a chasm there and maybe hip hop and video games and other things help fill that chasm. But hopefully, hopefully, I hope everybody bites. The, we in a situation where everybody copying everything. I hope people copy y'all. I hope that we see it in every single neighborhood where there are black boys and black girls that don't and all of them don't have dads in their house to kind of straighten them out the way that, you know, and kick that game that Mr. Lee and Mr. Telsey got. So I love hip hop. I'm always so, love so hip hop. Mr. Telsey, we can't have you not jump into this. You got a teenage son that I'm sure is listening to Gunner. And so, <laughs> sir, uh, what's your thoughts? He, he listens to hip hop, but he doesn't listen to it around me. Now, I listen to hip hop as well because I came up in the area with Tupac and Biggie mm-hmm. and UGK, you know, some guys from down south, down this way. So I like I like rap music myself, but I never I never let it take a hold of me because my mind because I had, I grew up in a house with a father. My father was in the house with me, and he wouldn't let it take over my mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. it, to me, to me, it's to me it it it's got a it's got an ability to take over, but someone has to step in to know how to regulate the situation. Warren G. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, hey, uh, hey, Chris, Chris you, jump, you jump in here because you're you're anti hip hop too. So, what what you got to say? Well, brother, first of all, I'm not anti hip hop. I'm just old. <laughs> I'm old. So, so, so a couple of things that I had to say, because I, I just feel like there's some disrespect of old people right now. Number one, I'm old enough to remember that hip hop, there was an era of hip hop when black people owned it. And it was part of a culture that was like the CNN of the culture, but it had a lot of goodwill in it, goodwill towards each other. It had a lot of party atmosphere in it. It had a lot of like gamesmanship between each other. It had a lot of kind of like bounce to it that was still family and familial. And corporate mm-hmm. corporate hip hop killed black hip hop and refabricated it for white people to have entertainment out of our misery. And we played along. So there are there are executives who started making decisions about who got to be the mouthpiece for our art form. And we have a lot of people who are who've come on the third or the second or the fourth generation who don't even remember that that's what happened. They don't even know that that was it. They, they didn't see it when it went left. I remember the day that N.W.A. came out. 
I remember the day. And what it sounded like to me was fatherlessness, unemployment, and an inability to read, like an inability to know what had happened with, you know, let's just, let me just back up and say this. The drum is ancient. So I'm glad this brother said he's a percussionist. The drum is the way we used to call people to meetings, to revolutions, to riots, whatever. The drum has always been that for us. So taking the drum from us is one of the most brilliant uh, corporate acts of, of white America ever. Because you can teach a kid how to do calculus with hip hop if you wanted to. Uh, some of the best teachers that you, you can see videos of the entire Kip chain was started uh, based on a black educator who used rhythm to teach kids math and you and to teach kids uh, reading and to teach kids. You could teach a kid almost anything with the drum. But what we're teaching, first of all, what we're letting happen is we're letting the village culture be dominated by the corporate culture, which is making a decision to put our ignorance to, to beats so they are putting our pathology and our ignorance to beats, our anti-family, anti-woman, anti-health, anti-mental health, anti-history, ahistorical, greedy, capitalistic, individualistic, hateful, spiteful of the brother. Kill my brother. I got to get mine. You got to get yours. Nigga, get your hand out my pocket. Right. That we're allowing them to put to beats to take the drum from us and put our pathology and then pump it 24 seven into our children's ears and make them think that it's coming from them. It's I mean, brilliant. It's I, brilliant. And it's devilish. I, I mean, I don't know if, if saying that NWA is a, a full corporate like entity. I think that's what that's easy. I mean, even though easy wasn't writing that right. Ice Cube was writing that, but that's what he was seeing. That's where he was. I mean, listen, man, as somebody having an outlet is important. And, and and again, maybe if they had somebody right there that and they saw some hope or whatever. I mean, look, I, I feel like I'm gonna be beating this dead horse, and that's a whole different show, man. But, but <laughs> I, I think you agree more on this way. What you just said? No, man. I'm gonna say this though. I'm gonna say this no. because. Illmatic got me through some stuff. That first DMX album got me through some stuff. That first Eminem album got me through some stuff when I was going through it. I didn't have access to, to, to mental health services. I didn't have the type of hope that you were seeing there. I just had a lot of rage and I needed to do something with it. And what I'm saying is the beauty of Dad's Own Duty is, is that they can identify and see a young man that's hurting, that needs some help, that needs something, and they can feel that with love. But if you if you abandon us in the wilderness and they lock up all the dads and the only way to make money is crack and this and that and the third, like, you know, what I'm saying like those things get reflected in music. And I, I mean, I just feel I, I don't know, man. I, I just I, I do think that there are some harmful things out there. But like like Mr. Davis said, my dad did not let that rule in this house. You know what I'm saying? Because we ain't having this conversation about death metal right now. We're not having this conversation about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies right now. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes in and out. And I think so. I think people 50 years from now are going to look back and say, y'all let kids be on social media. Are you serious? Y'all let them have that. What that's doing to young people's minds. So there's always going to be a devil right there. We just need our angels. And right now they look like a bunch of black men. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So and really quick. Uh, let, let me yeah, just ask brother call. Um, yeah. you, you, you hit on a couple of things, but I want, I want you to be real clear. And let's take um, Ice Cube. Ice Cube came from a two-parent production. He sure did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The look, one, I'm from the hood. So one of the things I get sick and tired of is this narrative that the only way that, you know, you're going to be able to make something happen is through selling. That's fine. 
the majority, if you go back, I'm 54. So when I came up, when hip hop was first kicking, kicking off, especially the gangster um, deal, at that time, 95 to 98% of the hood would get up every day, go to work, try to make something happen. Only about 2 to 5% of the hood were the, the dope dealers, the pimps and whatnot. That number is probably now about 15 to 20%. Okay? What, I, what I'm saying to you is that way that Dex on Duty came into being, those fights that you saw, they were directly the result of toxic hip-hop because these are little micro games that are forming around hip-hop and they're going out to emulate what they are hearing um, Brother Stewart talk about. They're going out and making a beat and the spoken word and they're dramatizing. Most of these children ain't coming from a lot, no of, lying. A lot of them are lying. A lot of them are lying. Absolutely. The majority of them are lying. And so, so that's showing you the indoctrination. So that's how we even came into existence because those were little micro games that had come together. And so now they get suspended and put out. There's a little residue that's still there, but we're greeting them every morning and we're engaging them because some of the dads on duty, guess what? They've been in the streets. Mm -hmm. So we can actually talk their lingo. All right. Now I'm from the hood, but I ain't never saw the dope and whatnot, but a few of the dads on duty, they've been in that particular um, realm. So that gives us some inroads to talk their talk from that overall standpoint. But we have to be very, it's not about movies in terms of Terminator and whatnot. We know what the game is. They're trying to sell hip hop as if this is the real deal reality of the hood. And the children are trying to emulate all of those things that the steward is talking about and where the issue is coming in. And lastly, the pep rally that David talked about that we gave before the break was out, that was a negotiation with the principal because while we were in Las Vegas at the conference, we're talking about dads on duty. Guess what? They did a pep rally with one of our powerful DJs, who is one of the top 10 DJs in the country now in um, Dallas. And he came in and the music that they were playing was so ratified that Dr. Pendleton didn't want to do any more um, pep rallies. So we had to negotiate and let her know we were bringing in a different DJ that that was going to play some pop pop that mm-hmm. didn't have the gangsterism in it. That's how we were able to get that pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so really quick, uh, if we can get a uh, we're all in the same gang from the West Coast and a, uh, a self destruction <laughs> from the East Coast, then hey, we'll be back in the game. But um, you know, as we wind down, I, I wanna I wanna bring to uh, talk to you guys about the types of programs that you guys are trying to put in place in terms of uh, making making this movement more sound and uh, and, and making this movement uh, become a reality for for different districts. So really quick, uh, if you guys could talk to us about the different types of programs. So so we've already had um, offers from the National Association of Black Psychologists, the National Association of Black Social Workers to partnership. So that's already in the works. 
Um, you can see conflict resolution training coming, escalation training coming, entrepreneurial um, training coming. Um, we're going to hit bombard these young folks with so much um, that that now gets them. Like we got a, we got a program we're going to be launching called Legally Chasing the Bag. We're going to show them how to legally chase the bag through real estate, through cryptocurrencies. We're going to show them that what you're hearing um, with the with the toxic rap is not the only way you can uh, come up. And then we're going to be introducing them to positive entrepreneurs who are making this happen in the trucking arena. It, as doctors, our mayor is 30-something years old, so he's already come up and talked to him. So we're going to show them the physical reality successful reality of positive folks and now get into their lives um, just a, an array of different things. But those are some of the um, ones that we actually have. And then we have a female um, group that has formed, joined with us, and they call themselves Moms on a Mission. So you got dads on duty and now moms on a mission that because there are certain things that the females need to hear, female children, directly from mothers and uh, other successful um, sisters from a grassroots standpoint. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yo, that's that's amazing. Um, and oh man, I just and not to push you. I'm I, I'm glad that I push you guys buttons on the hip hop thing or whatever because you know there's always that intergenerational uh, conversation that we need to have in terms of how to bridge that gap. Um, so I'm glad that I, I was able to push you guys and we were able to get that good content out of you. Uh, so I'm appreciative <laughs> of that. <laughs> it's not intergenerational, brother. It's it's the village. The village has 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 all kinds of different things going on at once. But right now, what I love about this story and even where this conversation went and where it's going is black men showing up and reclaiming their role. And part of their role is to own the part of the work that they're supposed to own. Part of that is culture setting, culture setting for boys. And Charles said it. I don't think Charles and I were disagreeing at all in this piece that he was saying, because Charles was saying, if there's somebody there, this is filling a gap. But if there is somebody there that is actually handling business and mm -hmm. taking care. They are setting the culture in their household and hopefully in their community and in their neighborhood and on their block and in their surrounding areas. And the more of that, I heard Charles say it several times, the more uh, dads on duty showing up like mm -hmm. this or whatnot, the more we're going to have a cultural shift. What I hope for, I hope that cultural shift is a shift towards an achievement culture, uh, a well-informed, a self-knowing, self-loving, uh, family-loving historical and historic history understanding culture shift, right? And I don't think we can do that with the corporate soundtrack of ignorance playing 24 seven in our children's ears. But uh, uh, I will I, I will give up on a couple of things. Yes, with, with some of you younger cats have said it's true though. Some of these albums are masterpieces. <laughs> I just think some of them, some of them I don't understand. Some of them just sound like a bunch I of. I think y'all would like that Nas album. That Nas album is very adult. It's yeah, but, very but Nas, 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 Nas is their generation though. Nas, Nas is their generation though. I was about to say he's our generation. Yeah. You don't get to claim him. Some of the rap music nowadays, I can't. I can't even understand it, man. It's like they say the same thing over and over and over again. I can't get into it. It's no originality. You are one hundred percent correct. I had, I, had, I, had, I had to bring my sixteen-year-old son to be a translator for this Gunna album, but this album is amazing. 
<laughs> you know, I like Rod Wave, man. You know, but, hey, I like Rod Wave, bro. Hang on, you look like <laughs> but, but I think the point that y'all, and you know, and Ray, I, I know that you in the middle of hosting, man, so I'll be quick. I, I think the point that y'all are making, though, is that, again, your presence is, like, I had a dad in the house, too, when he wasn't in jail, when he got cleaned up, right? I knew it was certain things I wasn't going to run around my house saying and doing. He was going to tighten me up. You know what I'm saying? We have, But we have places where they don't have, there's no stopgap. And what I'm saying is, and I think Chris even articulated it better than I did. So, again, I, I I do nothing but honor you all in this space right here. Like, like it is so important. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I, we can talk about the hood all day and homelessness and all that stuff. That's visiting both my parents in jail. I'm Dr. Cole now, right? Like, it's a difference. And when I tell kids and I show kids what my entrepreneurship looks like, I open up my books to them. I say, this is how much I get booked to do this. And they be like, to, to write reports, to be a nerd? I'm like, yes, man. This is what I do. And I think, but it's, it's another avenue of hope that they didn't know existed. You know what I'm saying? And, and it ain't even with school, like plumbing. If you become a journeyman plumber, listen, people, it don't matter what recession you in, pipes going to get clogged up all the time and they expensive to fix. You ain't even got to go to college for that. Like there's, there are ways to do it. So I, I definitely salute you all's uh, initiative. And again, like Ray said, let us know if you need us to help in any kind of way. Yeah, this is amazing. This this right here, this this got this this was an excellent way to start the new year for me. So um let's go into closing thoughts. Cole, we'll start with you and then we'll end with the guests. We'll go from you to uh to Chris. Well, nah, man, I I think uh, I just honor these brothers, man. I I, I really do. And black men, I, I know a lot of folks that I talk to, there's this thing where we don't feel like 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 we're like like we're enough to be in those spaces, right? Or like because I got a bid or I got into some trouble or whatever the case is, like I'm not um I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not I'm not qualified to be in those spaces with young people. What I'm gonna tell you is that you are like you are important, even if you made mistakes, all that stuff goes into the pot. You get to talk about those mistakes, you get to talk about what you learn from those mistakes, you get to say, Man, this stuff is not as sweet, man. And I love my brother. Cause he always tells his story to young people. That's like, and he stole my brother sold so so something for like a day, and he was like, "Yo, this all we gonna do? Wait a second, this this how much we make? Wait, this how dangerous it is? Bro, I can go to McDonald's and I can do this thing, but when he does that, especially with who he is and his demeanor, I'm telling, I watched this dude get get cast off the street. You know what I'm saying? And they ask him about his military experience. So. Black men, however you show up, however you trying to do and be, man, we need you. And by the way, when you have young people looking at you, it makes you better. When you have mentors underneath you and you got to hold account to those young people about what you're doing now and how you're growing, it actually forces you to do better in your own life. So this is a two-way thing that can help our whole community. It can help heal our entire village, as Chris would say. So, Ray, good show. Uh, Mr. Lee, Mr. Telsey. Uh, I honor you brothers for being here and continue to do what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, jump in. So people have heard me say oftentimes on this show, I'm in my fourth decade of being a parent. <laughs> so, I, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I've been a different parent in those different decades. The first one, I was a different father. The second, second decade of being a father, I was a different father then. Um, what I know from that experience is, is that there are times where you feel like you're by yourself or you're alone 
and there's not a lot you can do and that you're at the whims of the world and the things around you. And that never really is true, but it feels like it oftentimes. So when I see a moment that gets sparked like by Brother Craig or by uh, 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 Brother David, uh, by their work and by what they're doing, and I see a nation that's hungry for that, what I see is I'm in like eight or nine uh, Black Father Facebook groups. And I get to see all day long what people are talking about, their experiences and 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 sharing with each other advice or whatnot. But we haven't had a moment like this. So to hear a brother say that he gets off a plane in Atlanta and there's people waiting there and they're they're treating him right like rock stars. Uh, uh, it's a moment. So you've made a moment and you've given us uh, a flashpoint of hope for a moment. And we have to carry the ball beyond that. Now, now we have to start networking with each other across state lines. So I'm, I'm loving that you all are doing that. We need to be in fellowship with each other. We need to stop being invisible. We need to reclaim our roles, our rightful roles. And we need to actually know what the enemy is doing to stop us and prevent us from actually having those roles and from doing it. And the first part of that is showing up. So that's what these brothers did that I think is the best possible example is you don't have to wait for uh, uh, the time to be ultimately as right as it's ever going to be. You just show up. Just be there and start relating to young people because our young people are desperate and thirsty for people to relate to them that uh, that they can trust, that they can trust. And they are, they're not stupid. We make that we make the error of thinking our young people are stupid, mm-hmm. that they don't know who's for them and who's not for them, that they don't know who like they, these kids are so smart about who's not about them. So when they see like these type of brothers show up and they can talk to them and relate to them or whatnot and tell them their secrets. Uh, boom. Magic. I think that that that's the thing. So thank you, brothers. I appreciate y'all for making a moment and for giving us the inspiration. Yeah. All right. So we'll go to David and then we'll go to uh, Mr. Lee. Well, man, I thank y'all for having us on the show, man. And uh, and uh, for those who don't know, uh, go to Facebook for Dads on Duty USA and also on Instagram for Dads on Duty USA. And if you like, uh, send us your information and we can get with you to get these line, get this movement started all across the nation. Thank y'all, Appreciate man. you. Appreciate you. And the Saints are, are one and done in the playoffs, just so you know. Hey, man. Hey, hey, don't start. Don't start. Did <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just cap on the Saints? If it wouldn't have been for San Francisco. Mr. Lee. <laughs> again, again, we want to thank you guys for having us on the show. Uh, Brother Stewart, you have on your hat. A, a powerful um, term that uh, Kwame Ture, uh, formerly uh, Stokely Carmichael, used to always say, organize, organize, organize. And so that I want to commend you for, for that. Uh, I have a saying, uh, and that saying is, youth are like diamonds in the rough. They must be cultivated and refined if elder human eyes desire to see them shine. Our mission uh, with Dads on Duty is very simple. Uh, We're about transforming the minds and the spirits of underserved inner city and rural youth and their village in order to help them to rise to become great. And uh, we have to have our brothers on the front line uh, in order to make that happen. And everything that you guys are doing now with this platform, um, 
it, it goes right into that. So we'll definitely be we'll we'll be reaching out, networking, and partnershiping with you so that we can mobilize, organize, and activate this whole situation throughout the country. Beautiful. Yeah. Appreciate that. And so you all have been listening. Oh, so my final thoughts. Um uh, my final thoughts are, are, are very simple. I, I, I'm I'm in a place of I, I, so thank you guys, everybody that's in the audience that's offering prayer and offering all these things uh, to make sure that this work can continue to be done at a high level. Uh, I'm grateful to be back. Uh, we're missing our brother uh, El Meki tonight. I know he would have uh, basked in this show. This is his type of thing, his type of vibe. So uh, salute uh, El Meki, uh, who's in Indianapolis right now, about to watch this national championship game tomorrow, uh, Roll Tide. And um, thank you guys for uh, allowing us to be in your in your uh, living rooms on Sunday nights. Right, Looking forward to being back. Uh, looking forward to this movement kicking up. Uh, a Black Hands with a tour later this year. Uh, we're in these streets, right? So thank you guys for the opportunity to uh, to, to engage, and uh, we look forward to talking with you guys next Sunday. Uh, and Dad's on duty, man. I, this this warmed my heart. I needed this for tomorrow. I think uh, God put us together for a reason uh, in order to make this show happen tonight. Um, I've been trying to get this show to happen for the last three months, <laughs> but we're here. Four months. So. Um, we appreciate you. Yeah, to the A Black Hands family, peace. We'll see you. You have been listening to the A Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Meki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at A Black Hands One. Thank you for listening.